Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. I hope the weather's gorgeous where you are. Because my gosh, these last few days it's made me want to just quit my job and and be homeless under a bridge. The weather's been so good, you just stay there and live and and be fine and not have to deal with news like Ukraine and oil prices. Oh my gosh. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of this year's program, 877-973-7425. And yes, we have to begin with the oil prices. I had to fill up my car, so I brought my kid up to see some guy. Y'all, okay, side point, tangent. Yes, we're going to start the show with a tangent. There's a singer. His name is Conan Gray. You probably have never heard of him. I had to take my daughter and a friend of hers to a concert at the Roxy. Uh, it's a, a venue in Atlanta. Um, side note, uh, Brent, the bartender, thank you for like, uh, I, I was the only person in this uh, in this VIP lounge. There are like five parents who, who were in there, but I, I and the bartender, we visited the entire time. Nice guy, uh, bourbon aficionado. Nonetheless, so I brought my daughter to the Roxy to a concert for a guy named Conan Gray. There were thousands of of teen and young college kids, mostly girls, there to see this guy. None of the adults in the room had ever heard of the guy because he's TikTok famous. He's a YouTube and TikTok singer. He's not a bad singer. The girl who came on before him was named Bulo. She's a German singer. She literally dedicated one of the songs to her best friend's dad who she's in love with. The entire crowd went silent. I waited for someone to yell out, this ain't Alabama. But it, it, it on the way up here, this was the tangent. Now getting back to the main point. First of all, it, it's there's this entire culture that if you're not on TikTok, you don't know. And my kid's not on TikTok, but she is on YouTube. We don't let her get on TikTok. Chinese surveillance system that it is. But nonetheless, so I had to fill up my car with gas. And it was 450 a gallon. Now I, I will admit I put in um, Supreme unleaded because uh, I got a nice car and the engine rattles if I don't. And then I got home and I had to fill up to come back up here today to the office, and it was four seventy nine a gallon from four fifty nine to four seventy nine. It's absurd. And this administration doesn't seem to have a plan on what to do about it. At the same time, it seems the right thing to do is to block Russian oil imports. Here's Jonathan Carl on ABC News over the weekend. Back to the key issue here, which is the question of the of, of banning the import of oil and gas from from Russia. You know, it is not insignificant. Uh, we actually take in more petroleum from Russia than we do from Saudi Arabia. Uh, so, so the ban will result in, and, and it also obviously affects the world supply as well. So you'll see oil go from not $100 a barrel to 150 maybe $200 a barrel. But it's extraordinary, George, for all of the, uh, the sanctions that have been imposed, and they have been unprecedented uh, on, on Russia, to sanction everything but the thing that drives their economy. Right. So John McCain, uh, is, you know, John McCain used to say that, that um, Russia was a gas station masquerading as a country. And it was a great line. That's all they have. It is all they have. Now, here's Chris Christie talking about this. George, you got to do two things at the same time. 
And you should be able to. You have to ban Russian oil and you have to increase domestic production. And that is where Joe Biden's going to have the problem because he's held captive by the environmental left. That what John, Kerry, John Kerry, his guy said last week that the real tragedy of Ukraine is it's slowing our efforts on climate change. That will summarize what the far left's view is about domestic oil production. Climate change, we just saw the UN report this week. It's, it is, this problem is an existential crisis and it's getting worse. I, and, 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 and that's what the nice. tragedy and, and, is in I, Ukraine? I don't think any well, of us are being well, what is slaughtered. The definition of tragedy? That's what Kerry is talking about. Listen to that, though. George Stephanopoulos. Oh, it's an existential crime. We can't do it. Listen, you got George Stephanopoulos doesn't want domestic oil production because it's an existential crisis. Climate change is an existential crisis. Um, Pramila Jaypal, the leader of progressives in the House of Representatives. No matter what we do. Prices of gas are going to go up. So any Republicans who try to say that it's drill, baby, drill, and that solves the problem, it's wrong. That is not the case. We are going to see gas price prices rise, but it is in service to trying to quell a dictator. It's in service to try to quell a dictator, except you just heard George Stephanopoulos freak out about the climate change existential crisis. They do not want domestic oil production. Here's Pete Buttigieg. I mean, uh, look, the, the president has said that all options are on the table, but we also need to make sure that uh, uh, we're not galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems where uh, more strategic and tactical actions in the short term can make a difference, like what you have with the strategic reserve, which exists partly in order to respond to situations like this. Uh, and, of course, the president's laid out policies that are going to help cushion the impacts of any volatility in energy markets for the future uh, by building up uh, more of, of a diversified and, and homegrown uh, energy base for this country. And one last clip. This is from Jen Psaki. What overall we need to do here is reduce our dependence on oil. Europeans are doing that. We're doing that. We can't target Russian oil because they don't want to produce oil domestically. So do you know what their solution is? You're going to love this. They're trying to get Venezuela to produce more oil for OPEC. They're trying to get Venezuela and OPEC countries to produce more oil. They want Saudi Arabia to produce more oil. Joe Biden is heading to Saudi Arabia to salvage a relationship that was good under Donald Trump. So Joe Biden does not like uh, the crown prince of Mohammed bin Salman. He doesn't like him, believes that he was responsible for the killing of the uh, reporter Khashoggi, probably was. Joe Biden uh, has refused to meet with the guy, has refused to talk to him on the phone. There's a big story in The Atlantic over the weekend Joe Biden will not talk to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia on the phone. He is the nominal leader of Saudi Arabia on behalf of his father. And Joe Biden won't talk to the guy. And now Biden is having to go to Saudi Arabia, tail tucked between his legs, and try to salvage a relationship that was remarkably good and stable when Donald Trump was president of the United States. Joe Biden wants Iran to produce more oil. Why are we enriching terrorist regimes like Iran 
and rogue regimes like Venezuela when we have enough oil here we could produce for ourselves. And Pete Buttigieg says we don't want to do a temporary, a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. These aren't temporary problems. This is the, the naivete of this administration. Don't you love my pronunciation there, the naivete. They're surrendercrats. You should make it sound like it's French. They, 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 they don't. I mean, y'all. This is, oh my gosh. So I was, I, I, and, and I'll talk more about this later. So I had to go get trash coffee. Trust me, this is all related. I had to go get trash coffee. I hate Starbucks, but the coffee shop that I want to go to, it's it's closed because of the pandemic, and. It's close. I needed it. I, I got to have my caffeine fuel. So I went in and I encountered my first they, them in the wild. All the Starbucks employees, you, you see the look on Jim's face. He's like, what? What did you encounter? Well, uh, she was very clearly a girl and wore her name on her uniform with her pronouns. They, them. Those are her preferred pronouns. Y'all, she was a she. She was not a he who looks like a she. There was no Adam's apple. There was no five o'clock shadow. There was a girl. But she is a they, them. Hijacking the English language has become the idea of self individual self-expression for collectivists. Collectivists want us all to bow to the government and share everything and be a socialist uh, government but then their expression, individual identity, is will hijack the English language and force you to, to embrace the they, them. This administration is more concerned with the pronoun game and transports than our energy independence. The only reason we can engage and play the pronoun game in this country is because we've had really good times. We haven't had grown-up times. You don't hear anyone in Ukraine worried about the women other than CBS News. Somehow, CBS News was able to infiltrate a war zone and find the one transgender person in Ukraine and do a story on how terrible it is. It's a war within a war. Getting acceptance for her, it's a he, identity in Ukraine was so difficult before the war, and now it's even worse. Those Ukrainians, they're making those people fight in the war as men. Now, wait a second. I thought that there, there was some level of equality here. But see, the Ukrainians, they're not making the women fight, only the men. And so if you're a man who identifies as a woman, you're still biologically a man, so you got to go fight. And, oh, horrible, horrible stuff here. It's just awful. What I mean, who the hell went to Ukraine? It's like, I need the one transgender to stand up. Let's play the pronoun game. Anybody here a he who's a she, they, z? Oh, okay. Let's do a story on you on how the real war is your, your desire to be embraced by a society at war. I mean, who the hell does this sort of stuff? These people are getting killed, and CBS News thinks the real tragedy here is people won't embrace their pronouns. <laughs> I, I just, 
We can do this stuff because we haven't seen a world at war in so long. I mean, let's be honest here. As much as there were people dying in the Middle East for us after 9-11, to us, it wasn't really a war. Our economy wasn't impacted. Our lives weren't impacted. Our gas prices didn't soar like this. And, and so we could be soft. We could be soft and, and we could not have to worry. We could become self-absorbed. And in our self-absorption, we can do this. And now in our self-absorption, our presidential administration, and it is yours, and I always try to say this. People say, he's not my president. Yes, actually, he is the president of the United States. He is your president and mine. We're supposed to pray for him and all that stuff, but our president is so absorbed on the meaningless things of the left that he can't come up with an American energy independence policy and instead has to go to Saudi Arabia and beg them to produce more oil so that we here in this country can't create the jobs and energy independence. He is trumpeting our national security with what George Stephanopoulos calls the existential crisis of climate change. The economic climate is going to trump the environmental climate because this administration doesn't seem to have a clue as to what to do other than beg bad people to produce more oil for those virtuous pronoun gamers in the United States and the rest of us too. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be a part of this here program, let me go to Alan here. Alan, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thank you very much. Sure. Been like second, third time I'll talk to you, I'll get to it quick. And anyway, I said, to your producer, basically, what pressure can we put on the administration, senators, congressmen? I've called the White House. I've emailed the White House. I've called every representative to basically say, you know, if you don't do something, the only leverage I see is you lose your seat, right? That's the only leverage. I'll let you talk. Thank you. Yeah, so I I do absolutely think that this has to be uh, a pressure from the public. And honest to goodness— if I were in one of the petroleum industry trade groups, I would start running advertisements across the country that we have enough energy in our country, in our ground, that we could be energy independent, a net exporter of oil, create jobs and lower costs. If I were if I were in a petroleum industry outfit, I would I would start up the ad campaign tomorrow, and I think Republicans should as well. Uh, should as well. Republicans should be out there beating the beating the drums on this issue. That we are able to lower gas prices, and we are able to minimize disruption to our economy by being energy independent in a way that this administration is unwilling to allow us to be. And it's remarkable to me, frankly, that uh, they're allowed to get away with it, that they are allowed by the media. I mean, you heard George Stephanopoulos reacting about climate change being an existential crisis. 
And so he and those in the media don't want us to produce more oil. And so they want you to pay higher prices and they can't understand the devastation that's going to have because the situation isn't going away. Like Buttigieg says, we don't want a a permanent uh, solution to a temporary problem. This isn't a temporary problem. This is the beginning of something new. This is the beginning of of a – we've seen a political realignment of this country. We're watching a global realignment in real time. The, the, The countdown to Armageddon is upon us. The fact that our president and the Democratic Party won't do anything, this is going to be a campaign issue, and it's one the Republicans need to seize on. It's one the Republicans need to campaign on nonstop. But we have the ability to be energy independent as opposed to relying on the, the Venezuelans and the Iranians and the Saudis and all these rogue regimes in the world. We can do this. It's bizarre. You know, by the way, uh, so there is concurrent to all of this nonsense a, a movement of some who claim to be on the right that Putin is some sort of defender of the Christian faith. You know, there's a uh, uh, Republican candidate in Delaware who said she's more of a Putin Republican than, than a Trump Republican, that, that Vladimir Putin is a good Christian who defends the faith. It's insane, and, and, and that she's more with Putin than Biden because of the faith issue. Absolutely insane. You know, the Russians are now importing Syrian Islamic fundamentalist uh, soldiers to Ukraine for street fighting. Syrian soldiers who are Muslim— who in Syria learned urban warfare tactics are being imported into Ukraine because, you know, Putin is such a Christian. Can, can we please stop this nonsense that there are some who claim to be on the right who are Putin apologists? Mike Pence the other day was very clear. There is no room in the Republican Party for people who apologize for Vladimir Putin and who defend Vladimir Putin. There's not He's, he's clearly – a lot of people are wondering if he's going to do a, a uh, suicide campaign against Donald Trump. Is, is he going to go all in, make Trump fixate on him so another candidate could rise? Maybe so. I don't know. But this defending Putin as some sort of brilliant strategic genius, he's clearly not these days, even if he used to be. And he's clearly not the defender of Christendom when he's importing uh, Islamic troops to Ukraine to kill civilians in the streets. Please stop trying to find ways to make excuses for Vladimir Putin. When we come back, the polling, there's been a little bit of a rebound for Joe Biden, but the underlying fundamentals are still terrible for him and worse when it looks at Hispanics. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the phone uh, with the me on the show, and uh, Ricky does, I'm going to go to him. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Ricky, how are you? How are you doing, Eric? Good. Hey, look here. You know, Biden talking about he's, for, he's going to be for all the people, but he's hurting the people that he wants to send these checks out to in this Build Back Better because the average Joe Blow that works from paycheck to paycheck and even a little above that, they can't afford it. I mean, I'm looking at gas, 409 a gallon for regular. Uh-huh. They can't afford that. They cannot afford that. So he's taking that. He wants to give them child care. Well, they're going to have problems getting to work, feeding their family because the money they use for food, now they got to go buy gas. You're right. Ricky, you're right. You, you know, you know, and, and, and the second thing, you know, 
unless I and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's been no disruption in the oil flow in the world. The the real thing about these prices is those speculators that are kicking the price up because of what they think is going to happen in the future. Yeah, it is. It's a futures price. It is. Uh, there has not been uh, disruption except for the fact that the Russians themselves are already slow walking the delivery of energy. So, yeah, it's the futures are essentially future predictions. It's also wheat and things like that. They see what's happening in the world. Uh, but you're right. It, it's not present. It's future. But and remember, we're only, what, a year and a half or so from when nobody wanted to buy oil. It was like uh, a negative sale. Remarkable. But uh, our prices of oil are based on the futures market. It's the way it always has been. And nothing is going to change on, on that front. It's just remarkable that this administration is unwilling to do what it could do to guarantee our energy independence. And I, I got to say again, I think it is really telling from my vantage point that the media itself is kind of in on this. I, I, I went back to that George Stephanopoulos clip. I, I pulled the video on it. Uh, let me just play this again for you so you, you can hear what I'm talking about if, if you just did. Listen, you're you're going to hear Chris Christie talk, but then George Stephanopoulos is going to interrupt him and listen to the way Stephanopoulos interrupts him. George got to do two things at the same time, and you should be able to. You have to ban Russian oil, and you have to increase domestic production. And that is where Joe Biden's going to have the problem because he's held captive by the environmental left. That when John, Kerry, when John Kerry, his guy, said last week that the real tragedy of Ukraine is it's slowing our efforts on climate change. That will summarize what the far left's view is about domestic oil production. Climate change, we just saw the UN report this week. It's, it is, this problem is an existential and, crisis, and, and, and it's getting worse. And, 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 and it's getting worse. And so he's like, well, we, we can't do that. We can't do anything. Um, so George Stephanopoulos will put our energy independence in the hands of bad guys because of climate change. The GOP has a winning issue on its hands right here. They really do if they will seize the moment. It's that it was remarkable to have George Stephanopoulos tip his hand in that way. And it tells me that the the press, which is of the left, is so in bed on this issue with the left that they're going to double down on the climate change hysteria, and the Republicans have a winning issue. Republicans have a winning issue on their hands with this. Republicans, if they will seize this, can shape the narrative moving into the future. Now, related to this is the polling. I always use the Real Clear Politics polling average because I think it does a better job, and Biden has rebounded to some degree. For example, uh, the NPR PBS Marist poll has him down four now. He had been down more significantly than that. But the IBD tip poll has him down eight, 
with a 39% approval, but his disapproval is 47%. Now listen, to, I, I need you to pay attention to this. The IBD tip poll, Investor Business Daily tip poll, it's a, it's a very good poll. But it's of all Americans, not registered voters or likely voters, anything like that. It has Joe Biden's approval at 39 and his disapproval at 47, which means if both of those are under 50 percent, there's a good portion of people who are undecided. Do they approve or disapprove? And those are people who disapprove but don't want to say so in time of war. I mean, let's be honest here. It's one of those things where you, you don't you don't want to be like, like attacking the president because you're going to be called a unpatriotic. So you don't you don't want to be hostile to the president of the United States when he's trying to steer us through this crisis, but you really don't like his job performance. Now, I I, I gotta I gotta dive into this with you a little bit, if you will. I keep my clothes on when I dive, I promise. <laughs> Y'all, it all goes back to Afghanistan. I hate to be the broken record here. But uh, no one in this administration understands, and so much of the media can't process, that it all goes back to Afghanistan. Because in Afghanistan, the American media... The American media covered Afghanistan in a way that even they couldn't escape showing there was a screw-up. And the American public realized there's a screw-up in Afghanistan. And Joe Biden calls it a tremendous success. Such a tremendous success, mind you, that he didn't even want to talk about it in the State of the Union, which tells you everything you need to know about how they actually see it. The public saw Afghanistan and went from believing this guy is a competent, empathetic leader to an incompetent moron who's not very nice. So everything thereafter is viewed through that lens. So they don't want to be mad at the guy right now in times of crisis, but they can't say they approve. So they say, I don't know. I don't know. They know. They just don't want to say. They're worried maybe the pollster's a Democrat and they're going to get charged with treason for disapproving of the president, shamed by the president. But we're in a situation where the public's mind is kind of made up about Joe Biden right now, and he has done nothing to dissuade them from that fact. I mean, Joe Biden got a bit of a bump in the Marist poll, and he's still underwater. And gas prices are going up. And now all the, the everybody's like, oh, it's, 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 it's Putin. Putin's the problem. Here's Jen Psaki of the White House. The reason why the price of gas is going up is not because of steps the president has taken. They are because President Putin is invading Ukraine. And that is creating a great deal of instability in the global marketplace. <laughs> Y'all, last I checked a month ago. Gas prices were higher than they'd been in a very long time, and Vladimir Putin was not invading Ukraine. Yes, they're higher now because of it, but they were already high. They were already high. Now they're higher, and oh, it's Vladimir Putin's fault. Now we've got someone to blame. 
they can't accept responsibility for it. Now, this is played out in other ways. It's not just the polling. I mean, the GOP has a winning issue if they don't screw up, but never underestimate the GOP's ability to screw up. Hispanic voters are shifting pretty big to the Republicans, and they're starting to really freak out about it on the uh, on the the Democratic side. CNN, of all places, has a story about this. And things are not going well for the Democrats when CNN is starting to tell them they got a problem with Hispanic voters. Here's the story by Harry Enten. The Democratic Party's early 2000s dream of an emerging Democratic majority based on a diversifying electorate has run into reality. Democrats lost the 2016 presidential election, and they barely won in 2020. Part of their problem was declining support among white voters. But the 2020 election also pointed to another problem. Hispanic voters, a growing portion of the electorate, moving toward the Republican Party. Recent polling, and now this week's Texas primaries, show that these Republican gains don't seem to be going away anytime soon. Texas is a heavily Hispanic state. Relative to the country as a whole, there are 16 counties in Texas where Hispanics make up at least 80% of the citizen voting age population, according to the latest data from the Census Bureau. The county with the highest percent of Hispanic adult citizens, Starr County, backed Joe Biden by five points in 2020 after voting for Hillary Clinton by 60 points four years earlier. That's not a misprint. It really was a 55-point swing to the GOP. Regularly scheduled primaries, of course, don't feature a Democratic candidate versus a Republican candidate. We can, however, look at the relative turnout between the Republican and his and Democratic primaries. This is instructive. All told, 27% of the Texans who voted Tuesday in the 16 most Hispanic counties cast a vote in the Republican primary. That may not seem a lot, but consider in 2018, just four years ago— 15% of those who voted in either the Democratic or Republican primary cast a Republican ballot. In Starr County, 24% of primary voters were cast on the Republican side. It was basically nothing in 2018, a mere two-tenths of 1% of primary voters being cast on the Republican side. That's a 24-point shift towards Hispanic engagement in the GOP. In Texas overall, there's been slight movement toward Republicans. After Remember all the talk about, oh, Texas is going to go blue. Texas is going blue. Beto O'Rourke, you got so close to Ted Cruz. Oh, my gosh. Texas, it's going to go blue, and the Electoral College will be insurmountable for the GOP. That was back when they liked the Electoral College. Now it turns out Texas is going even redder because of Hispanic voters. It's only a matter of time before the Democrats are the ones who want to build a very high wall on the southern border and keep all the Mexicans out. It's going to be the Democrats who, who want to tighten on immigration and, and want to keep all the uh, Latino-Hispanic voters out of the United States. It's going badly for them. In fact, in fact, this is, again, Harry Hinton, CNN. The national level, Texas, does not seem to be that much of an outlier. While it's not clear that Hispanic Americans have moved even more toward the Republicans relative to how Americans are shifting overall. It's clear Republicans are holding their gains. Nationally, the three polls that meet CNN standards for reporting, the CNN poll, the Fox poll, and the Quinnipiac University poll, have produced generic congressional ballot results since the beginning of the year 
and provided a cross-tab on Hispanic voters' midterm preferences. The generic ballot asked respondents some form of the following question. If the election for Congress were held today, would you vote Democrat or Republican? Democrats have held a 23-point advantage among Hispanics on the generic congressional ballot in the average of these polls so far this year. An average of three estimates of how Americans voted in the House in 2020 found Democrats won the House by about 28 points among Hispanics. This five-point shift towards Republicans among Hispanics is in line with the five-point shift we see among voters overall. Republicans ahead by two points in the generic ballot compared with losing the national House vote by three points in 2020. The key thing to realize, though, is that Democrats did worse and Republicans did better among Hispanic voters in 2020 relative to the national vote. Now, what does all this mean? It's a fancy way of saying There's been a dramatic shift among Hispanic voters to the GOP, and it wasn't transitory, just like inflation. Ha! Wasn't actually a transitory shift to the GOP. There's something going on under the water where Hispanic voters are moving towards Republicans. I mean, can you blame them? The rich white Karens of the Democratic Party have kind of shunned everybody. I mean, if they're not down on their pronoun game, they're going to get deported. So they had to come to the GOP where people— are not as crazy. It's not that they're not crazy. It's that they're not as crazy as the Democrats, and that matters. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, my friends, think I'm going to talk to Jerry here for just a moment. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thanks, Eric. Hey, I got three quick points for you. One, I agree with you. These polls, yeah, the, the American people, they'll have an opinion about Joe Biden on certain issues, but you're right. They've already formed a judgment, and the judgment on him is not going to be good, and it's not good. Two, I see the U.S. making a huge problem here regarding diplomacy. They're using diplomacy as a tactic rather than a strategy, and, and they're using it as a strategy. And it's not a strategy. It's a tactic. This leads me to my third point. Israel knows that diplomacy is not a strategy. It's a tactic. And with this Iran deal about to be signed, when does Israel finally just go in and say, they know they're on their own. When do they go in and say, we will not negotiate with a country that wants us wiped off the face of the earth? There's no negotiating in there. When do you think they take matters in their own hands I, and it gets you know, really, really ugly? I think they're already starting, you know, over, over the weekend. And, and the, the uh, new prime minister of Israel is, is an observant Orthodox Jew, and he still traveled on Saturday which meant it had to be a big freaking deal for him to travel on a Saturday because uh, Orthodox Jews typically don't travel uh, except by foot on Saturday. And he flew to Moscow to meet Vladimir Putin. I think the Israelis are starting to realize that uh, with Joe Biden in the White House and the Democrats, they aren't going to be protected. This deal with Iran, we're going to get into it some in the next hour is outlandish and absurd. And uh, we're, we're going to have to do something to try to scuttle it if we can, except the administration is designing it to be executive so it doesn't have to pass the Senate. Uh, terrible deal. We'll get into it. Uh, I, I, before I get out of here, though, I, I want to close the loop on, on the Hispanic outreach from the GOP. I want to read you this headline. This is NBC News. DEFCON One Moment. New Spanish-language conservative network fuels fresh dim fears over disinfo. 
Latino outreach. More Latino voters show signs of drifting right, and analysts warn of a new wave of disinformation ahead of the election. This is from Mark Caputo, who is, by the way, a very good and fair reporter who calls out a lot of the left's BS. But it's interesting to see not so much Mark Caputo, but Democrats crying to him about disinformation. Now, this comes at the time the New York Times literally did a story over the weekend about the myth-making in Ukraine, from the Snake Island soldiers who wound up not being dead to the ghost of Kiev, who was real, but it was the, the story was altered to, to play up more, to a number of other stories that have come out and how that disinformation in Ukraine has emboldened people and, and been myth-making and, and shows them their heroes. This is the same New York Times that screams about disinformation in the United States when it hurts Democrats. Back to Caputo's story. The nation's first Spanish-language conservative network launches Tuesday morning on satellite radio, opening a new front in the political information wars targeting Latinos in the United States. The network, called Americano, arrives during a crucial inflection point in U.S. politics as more Hispanic voters show signs of drifting right, and Democrats continue to sound the alarm about Spanish-language right-wing disinformation, particularly in Miami. It's going to start on on satellite radio and then be streaming. Uh, It has close ties to Donald Trump as well as to Jeb Bush. And Democrats are crying foul. Y'all, every time the Democrats' monopoly breaks down, they scream its lies and disinformation, breaking it down. At some point, maybe privately, they'll never do it publicly, but maybe privately Democrats will say, maybe it's us. Maybe it's us. Nah, they'll, 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 never, they'll never do that. And that's part of the problem. If you can't be self-reflective, you're never going to change. And change is what the Democrats need right now. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.